This is the Sunday Sermon Podcast from Claycomo Baptist Church in Claycomo, Missouri. Today, Pastor Scott Gordon finishes up his subsection on worship with healthy habits with worship conclusions. And now we turn it over to Pastor Scott. As we continue our study in healthy habits for our spiritual strength and the emphasis on worship, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew, the fourth chapter. We'll find ourselves meandering from Matthew to Romans to Revelation this morning as our focal text in the Bible as well as some others along the way. You know, I'm thankful that even when we face challenges, we face heartache and heartbreak, we face changes in our lives, all of these things that can maybe seem uh, overwhelming at points, that we have a God who is great and faithful, who is for us, and the Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? We must find ourselves faithful, we must find ourselves following and continuing to walk in the way that Jesus has led, the not only example that he has set, but the empowerment that he brings through dying on the cross, rising again as our Savior and Lord, having sent the Holy Spirit to indwell our lives and dwell among us as his church. And that brings us to a heart of worship. The privilege of being able to share together and expressing our gratitude to God. Something that kind of hit me this week as we were mentioning on Wednesday night and talking about even personal worship and different things that we've talked about over uh, the past Sundays as well is we have been given this invitation that the Lord of the universe, the creator of all, has said he will spend as much time with us as we want any day of the week, anytime, anywhere. Think about that. I mean, I often find myself wanting to go, oh, if only I had been alive with the disciples and walked where Jesus walked, see him do the miracles that he did and and all of these things and how he interacted with people, all of those things, and just to spend time with him. And then in this study was reminded, hey, buddy, you can have that fellowship anytime, anywhere because the God of all creation desires to have a definitive, personal, daily relationship with you, with me. That leads us to worship. We think about singing. We've talked about singing songs together here in that aspect of of lifting our hearts and our voices together to the God who saved us. He is worthy of our praise and worship. And I asked a question similar to this. I'm going to ask it this morning just by way of thinking is, what song, what one song, And that's just not fair. But what one song do you really, really, really want to sing or to hear sung in heaven? Just think, what is that song? I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me is Amazing Grace. And I said one, and I'm going to list about four. But I mean, you just think, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully giving voice to a few others here. One that I grew up as a kid loving because it was fast-paced in, in our church that was geared much like ours, a blended to traditional type worship service, but victory in Jesus. I mean, that just made you want to just go. 
How about this? One in more recent years, In Christ Alone. You know, the Gettys, I, I love their music. I love their heart. I love the way that they turn to Scripture and take the truth of Scripture and put it into song and, and to help us lead in this way. Then there's one that maybe none of you know and my wife will not like. You put this love in my heart by Keith Green. She cannot stand Keith Green. I mentioned that on Wednesday night. But I, you know, he tragically was taken from us early in, in life uh, as he was a worship leader in, in the 80s and all of that stuff. And he had a, a, a relatively uh, what you might call kind of unpolished style. Every, every album that he recorded, he did every song in just one take. He didn't master it. He didn't blend it. He didn't do all of the wonderful technical stuff that makes a, sound, a, a song sound perfect. And then you go to hear that artist in concert, and they never sound like their CD. CD, I'm dating myself even. Their cassette, that's even better. Eight-track anybody? But anyway, um, they never sound like their album because, man, that is completely polished, and here they are. That, he just did a song, sat down to piano, whatever other instruments are there, one take, that was it, that's what's on the recording. But, I mean, the heart of his worship was uh, amazing. His voice is a little bit different, but I like it that way. Hey, what about this? What about the psalm we ended with last week? Psalm 8, verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty, and that song alone, that one verse, could just keep us singing forever. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We have been created to glorify God, to praise his name, to worship him, to worship him from now on. Now, all of creation declares the glory of God. The, the scripture is clear. But upon our coming to Christ for salvation, trusting him, confessing our sin, repenting and following after him, from that point on, we have a wonderful privilege, and that is to glorify our great and mighty God, our Savior and Lord. So let's look, as we kind of wrap up this section on worship today, at that command that we find right here in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10. The future is now. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Now this is Matthew chapter 4. What is this context? I mean, here Jesus is saying specifically to Satan, get out of here. It's not even get behind me. It is get away, go away, get out of here. This is in the midst of the temptations that Jesus faced. He went out into the wilderness. He went out and fasted and prayed. And at the end of that time, Satan himself came and tempted Jesus three different times. In this third and final aspect of temptation, this is Jesus' response. He says very plainly, it is written, meaning that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, fear the Lord your God, worship him, and take your oaths in his name. That is a very exclusive statement. It is to only worship and to serve God. And that's right in that context of Deuteronomy chapter 6, back up to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
and talking about that idea of, of family worship and, and focusing on scripture and, and talking about the truths of God when you rise up, when you lay down, as you're walking, as you're in the marketplace, as you're in the home. Let that always be on your lips, be before your family and in your heart and mind throughout your day as well. But as we look at this aspect, it's interesting. In the context of that temptation, Jesus redraws the focus for us about our Lord, our God, Father. We would say Son and Spirit. Put all of who God is in the focus that Jesus brings right here. What is interesting to me as I studied this, and it caught me kind of by surprise, there are two main verbs here in this command as he cites the Old Testament. It is to worship and to serve. The interesting thing that just caught me by surprise is both of those verbs are in the future tense right there. And I'm like, that just sounded odd. Because they sound like a command, and in fact they are. And, and oftentimes the future in the Greek can be used to have an imperative idea. You must. But it is very interesting to me. It's not just you, you need to right now. In the context of giving the command, it is from now on. It is going forward. Your life must be characterized by these two attitudes towards the God of all creation. It is this, worship and service. I'm going to set service aside because we're getting ready to head down that road very soon as we talk about the habit of service and ministry in our lives. But this imperative, this reminder for us to worship God is kind of that, that aspect where Jesus is saying, hey, even in the midst of trials and temptation, worship God. Even in the midst of being through a challenging time where you are putting all of your dependence upon God and you may not be able to see the next step that you are to take, continue to honor God. Always have that mindset that I'm going to do it now and it's the very same pledge we have in our wedding vows. It's not just I do, it is also I will. It is in this moment I say yes to my bride. I say yes to my husband. I say yes in that and I do make that commitment and I will continue to fulfill that commitment. So we find ourselves in that aspect. So I want to look at a couple of my favorite aspects of this. We are thinking that it is from now on, if the future is now in our habit of worship, what about the here and now? Well, one of my favorites we find in Romans chapter 11. So I'm going to invite you to, to turn over to Romans chapter 11 in your Bible, just a little further to the right of Matthew there. And spoiler alert, the last one that we turn to is going to be the very end of the book, so I'm just kind of get. Get yourself prepared to head to the end of Revelation as well. In the here and now, listen to these wonderful words coming from Paul as he's writing to the Christians in Rome, beginning in verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 
Now, what got Paul to get all sorts of excited, enthusiastic about who God is? If you'll remember back to our time in the book of Romans previously, this is the conclusion of that centerpiece of the book of Romans that gives us headaches. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are a unit that fit together as we study the truth of God's word. It starts with him saying, for the sake of my brothers in in my ethnic background, my fellow Jews, I wish that I could be accursed, that those who right now are rejecting Christ would come to know him as their Savior and Lord. Then he gets into a really in-depth and sometimes just headache-inducing discussion of the sovereignty of God and salvation and the fact that God is the one who is the plan from beginning to end and has established that aspect of salvation and, and the granting of faith and the beautiful gift of the creation of intent of God that all of creation praises him, both those who would respond in faith and those who will not. And in the midst of that, there's a, an aspect of saying the Jews need to understand they have a significant place, but not the only place, because I have come to seek from among every tribe and tongue, every nation of people, those who will come to me by faith and be a part of the kingdom that I am establishing. Our Lord have said this. Then he talks about the description of, of how salvation works. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. How will they hear unless we are sent? The Great Commission is right there in the midst of all of this. The reconciliation of righteousness that comes in the wake of a response of a faith transformed by grace in repentance and trust in Jesus affects every aspect of our lives, even the most challenging, which in that day and time and in the context of most churches were the tensions between Jews and Gentiles ethnically. And he said, I've broken down the dividing walls, as he mentioned to the church in Ephesus as well. And he comes to the end of this and he goes, wow, essentially. I mean, that's really understating it. That's an underwhelming way to describe these verses at the end of chapter 11. But it brings him to a response of worship. He sits in the midst of what we would call challenging theological doctrinal truth. And rather than being mad, rather than being simply sad, he turns around. And yes, I'm going to go ahead and rhyme. And he gets really glad. I know that sounds cheesy. Maybe that'll stick with you. You'll say, the only thing I remember from your message three weeks ago were sad, mad, or glad. And if you do, you remember that our response to truth ought to make us glad, then we're good. That's the response of worship. Look at that heart. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. Unsearchable are his ways and his judgments. Who has known the mind of the Lord? And then verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. To him be the glory. How long? Forever. I'm glad he put that in here because as we transition in that aspect of an enthusiastic worship and, and even those aspects of worship that bring us to a, a solemn kind of thankfulness, a, a quietness in our spirit, all of that is here and now and definitely if we, we, we would be less than honest with ourselves if we're saying, and I'm also looking forward to forever. 
and forever somewhere else other than where we are right now because where we are right now is often really hard. Frustrating, heartbreaking, all of those things that we encounter in our lives each and every day. So I want us to turn to one of my favorite aspects of that idea of worship in the future. And it's the end of the book, Revelation 22. Listen to these verses, just the setting of the first five verses of Revelation 22. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing Uh, for healing the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, if you want me to explain every detail of what we just read, sorry to disappoint. I've got one aspect to focus on right here. There's one word right there in the midst of all of this. And his servants will worship him. His servants will worship him. Here we come to the conclusion of Scripture. We come to the end of the book. Now, in college, as I've mentioned before, I had a friend of mine from Americus, Georgia. And Jamie's not here to, to defend him and say he's a good man because, he, you know, Georgia and all. His name was Michael Jordan. Actually, it still is. <laughs> but he wasn't that Michael Jordan. In fact, he actually preferred his name to be Michael Jordan because that's how... The family said that name. It's much like if you're an Auburn fan, what's the name of the football stadium there at Auburn University? It's Jordan-Hare Stadium, and it's spelled just like Jordan, okay? And that that stuck with me because he schooled us on that every time we tried to mispronounce his name. That's not the only thing that stuck with me. He was a, I would say, relatively short. He's my height, so he's a, a fair average height guy. And a lot of, uh, of what he did and how he lived, God used to encourage and disciple me. I would consider him uh, a, a mentor of, of such. One thing that stuck with me is his dogged tenacity to help corral a discussion to get to the point. In case you haven't ever noticed in talking to me, at times I can wander not just in walking around on the stage, but in talking about things, chasing squirrels, as we might say, Jennifer, and wandering around in this. And so he would finally say, hey, what's the bottom line? What's the, what's the main point? What, what are you trying to say? And not that we would ever take that attitude towards Scripture, but the Scripture provides for us, here's the bottom line. 
the essence of the summary of the book of Revelation and a very fitting close draws us to the attention of that future blessing and the privilege provided of being in the presence of our Lord forever. He has said elsewhere, this very same writer in the gospel that he wrote, John said, our Lord said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And then we're given, if it's just a snapshot, we're given a picture right here of what it looks like. And it continues on throughout the rest of this chapter. And I just want to highlight another aspect beginning in verse 12. It says, look, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star, and both the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. Oh, what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture impacting our lives now as, as we see that summary of what even in John's day and still to our very day is yet to happen. And we trust that it will happen. Why? Because what God has said will happen in the past has come to pass. The Messiah came. The big picture of everything. The fact that we fell in Adam and Eve in the garden choosing our own selfishness over God's command. And sin entered the world, and sin separated us from God. And since that time, there has been an enmity, a, a tension, a fighting between us and God because we think we are in charge or should be. And we find ourselves needing to be reminded of our sinful state and our rejection of God who created us. But thanks be to God, as Scripture says throughout the Old and New Testaments together, the greatest summary of which we find again in John's gospel, for God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, and that is Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. He gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, believes, repent, place your faith and trust in, will not perish, but have everlasting, eternal, forevermore life. And so that is celebrated right here in the end of Revelation. And we come to one of my favorite verses of all of Scripture, verse 20 of Revelation 22. He who testifies about these things. What is these things? That is Jesus testifying about those things that he has done and going to do. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Now, our problem is this. His soon and our soon don't line up. We get impatient. What do we do in the meantime? If he's coming soon and he hasn't come yet, what are we to do? Thank him. Thank him for not coming back to get us already. 
I'm a little impatient. Come on, God, let's go. Any, any time now would be great. I mean, you know, the, uh, the, the thing I remember hearing about uh, getting ready for Jesus to return in the rapture, just saying, amen, any time now, let's practice. And hopefully one of these next times as we jump, our feet don't hit the ground again. And just, oh, and I'm gone. Ready, ready, why not now? The long-suffering of our Lord, the kindness of our Lord leads us to repentance. Our Lord is patient, not a sound count patience, but is willing that none should perish and all should come to repentance. That's a part of God's plan. Yes, I am coming soon. What is John's response and, and our hearts echo to this very day? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We are ready for you to come back. We are ready for you to return. And in the meantime, in a heart of thankfulness, with a mind of gratitude and a focus to honor and bring glory to his name, we will live for him. We will find ourselves living that life that is described for us in Romans chapter 12. Presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable, our spiritual command of service to our king so what a beautiful picture every aspect of what we see right here is in the fact that worship prepares us for the future i mean if you don't want to have a heart of worship now you're going to be you know in in a hard way at, at points of heaven because it's not going to be what it's always been that favorite song that I hope we all get to sing that one will be added to with many various new songs that we may have never heard before, nobody's ever heard before. We'll learn songs from different periods of history and different parts of our world to bring honor and glory to our God. In all of this, we will say as we have this morning, how great is our God. How indescribable and inconceivable. So why do we bother? Because we must. Because our hearts burn. Because our minds are just overwhelmed with the majesty and glory and the greatness and goodness of our God. Because God has said and done these things, we respond to him and simply say, thank you, God. You alone are worthy. You're listening to the Clay Cullen Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Clay Cullen, please visit us online at www.claybap.org.